0: We generally, started with like stories of evangelism at work or like really, really encouraging beach stories. Um, so, what I wanted to do to kind of start this out is just see if any of you had any stories of sharing with people at work um, and would be just willing to talk about um, how, how that went. And so, um, I think Sterling here is going to walk around with the mic if anybody would like to talk about that or share about that, Ben. Okay. <laughs> Good. Yeah, this is, uh, what, what is it? A, um, ABC? So, Augwell, 3D, Um I think. So, me we, uh, we and Mitch shared the gospel with those crazy kids outside Project. Um, and we literally like, ran into every single possible scenario there was possible.
1: We, we shared the gospel with the
0: atheists with an agnostic, with, like, a person that's like, oh, yeah, I'm a Christian. I go to church every single week. Um, I just, like, don't like they preach that, so go away. And, like, people that were like, oh, we need Jesus. And then people that are like, Jesus is happiness. And so literally, like, these are, like, so we're sharing the gospel, and we have every single one of these people in front of us. And I feel like God really spoke through um, both of us. Mitch got to like share his number with uh, two of the guys and like should give the tracks so him to share the bridge diagram with him. Um, and so it was like really sweet to talk about like what a sin looked like, like to a non believer and an atheist or something like that. So but it was like we were really pretty that we had the opportunity to do that. Anyone else? Any stories from work, sharing with coworkers? <laughs> Told
1: Hold the mic um, closer, it'll help. Um, I think it was last week I was at work and um, I was like in the belly making salads and I was just praying that God would uh, give me a unique opportunity to share his Um. I took a really late um, last break, and so I came back at like 4.45, and there's this little old man, and he's like, can you come help me, find me, whatever, so I start walking with him, and he's like, you're not going around here, No. You know, so I get to tell him like a little bit about CO and like what we do, and he's like, oh, you're one of them church kids, and he starts laughing, and then he starts asking me questions about um, the Old Testament and the New Testament, and just like, how do you get right with God, was so cool, and so then I, um, he kind of started going into like uh, his life story that uh, he didn't he, he said he had committed so many sins that were so avoidable that no God would ever forgive him of those, and just that he grew up with no one that ever loved him or cared about him, and um, he just couldn't believe that there was a God out there that would, would do that. And so I got to ask him if I could share what I believe and I got to lay out the gospel for him, and I just told them it came that he repented of his sins. Like, he has an amazing father that would love him more than any earthly father ever could. And, like, with tears in his eyes, he just, um, like, thanked me for having the conversation. And he just like, He's, like, um, he's just having a really bad day, and so taking that time to really, like, talk and think about it. It was really cool. And then later, after work, I was like walking back to the car, and this little red car pulls up, and he's like, "Cassie, Cassie!" And he's like waving me like, down, like, "Hi." So it was like really, really cute. Cool.
0: That's super sweet. Maybe like one more back there.
1: In the same place, but it was kind of cool that like, he talked to me about like his entire life and like um his like, views on like, the world and like something that he's struggling with because he's he's yeah, he's an atheist, so he doesn't really like, he goes to church with his wife sometimes, but he still just doesn't like understand. And so, like, one of his main beliefs is that he doesn't get like why God would make bad things happen, and so. When I initially met him, I was like kind of confused about that as well, so that's why like, I asked Oki once about it, and so like, Oki, like gave me the answer, and then I actually, at the end of that conversation that I had with Phil, um, he's like, well, uh, I'm from around here, so I'll be back, um, and I'm like, yes, please, like, come back, so I didn't get to share the gospel with him my first time. Um, but a few days ago I was just like in my area again. And here he comes along and I was just like, Hey Bill! and he's like, Oh my gosh, you remember my name? Like he just thought like it was a normal conversation for me, but I think get really like touched in and so like this time I got to share the gospel and I got to apply like what he told me to like help him with. And so I invited him to like our church and Nothing has come of it yet, but he, like, told me that he wants to, like, get my number and, like, call me when I come back and, like, just talk with me. And I was, like, super excited to, like, share the gospel with him because I think he's still, like, an unreached person. But I think um, God is definitely, like, working in his life, so, um.
0: That's super sweet. I think just as we go forward in the summer, like God has placed us um, at these specific workplaces within these specific people groups. And if we believe and trust in Jesus, like we have a call to be the light um, and to build relationships with these people and share the gospel. Um, And so going forward at Walmart, at Piggly Wiggly, Chick-fil-A, like it'd be super sweet um, if we shared a lot with our coworkers. and so last week um, in evangelism, we talked about eternity um, and how eternity ultimately should affect how we love people. Um, we discussed that if we truly love people and we believe that hell exists, like we have to share the gospel with them to tell about Jesus, um, to be loving towards them. That was two, part one um, of a two-part series on evangelism. Um, and this week, here comes the second part. Why do we evangelize too? And the whole point of this talk, um, or the central point of it, is that evangelism makes much of God. Um, As we explore this, um, I'm going to answer three central questions. Um, How does evangelism honor God um, is the first question that I will answer. Um, The second one is, how does the command to evangelize result in seeing more of the gospel and the delight of God and then the third point that we're going to touch on this afternoon is how evangelism fits into God's all-time plan for redemption. Um, and so I'm going to pray to get us started. Um, and so if you'd bow your heads with me, that'd be sweet. Um, Father, um, God, I-, I just thank you um, for bringing us together here today, um, this beautiful June 5th day. Um, God, I-, I pray that um, that the disciples had a restful morning, um, and God, I pray that the room leaders and all them that we had a good year's discipleship group, and God, I just I just pray um, that this afternoon that you would open hearts to hear about the best thing that we could hear about um, Jesus and um, how we are ultimately um, to proclaim what He has done everywhere. And so, God, I just pray um, that you would use this talk to drive us to spend a lot of time evangelizing. So, God, I lift these things up to you. Um, in your name I pray, amen. So, point one. How does evangelism honor God? Um, as she's talked about a couple weeks ago, we should talk about things that we delight in. Um, and if you believe and trust in Jesus, like, you should delight in him. You should be excited to talk about him. Um, but at the same time, like, we shouldn't just talk about something because we delight in it. Like, there are a lot of really really bad things that we could delight in and talk about um, really there has to be a second side to that and with God we shouldn't just talk about God because we like him um, we should talk about God because of what he has done and in this we honor what he has done we should talk about God and evangelize ultimately um, because of what he has done consider the following in Psalm 34 1-6 through 6. The psalmist proclaims the name of the Lord. He praises the Lord continually with his mouth. Why? This is because of what God has done for him. The Lord answered him when he sought him. God has delivered him from all of his fears. The Lord met him in his poor, terrible, downtrodden state, and God has done a great work for him. The psalmist was in a state that was poor, and the Lord helped him and got him out of his trouble. The psalmist ultimately talks about God because of what he has done. And the psalmist can't talking about God. The psalmist talks about God to honor him, to make it known what he has done for him and getting him out of his trouble. The psalmist talks about God and honors him because he, God, has done a great thing for the psalmist. And this is true in life in general. When somebody does something really awesome for you, you assume, like you just naturally talk about them. um, Because ultimately, we talk about, like in talking about them, we honor that person. Um, So like if you were to break down on the side of the road and your car was completely broken um, and you call up your friend to pick you up and your friend comes and picks you up in like a new Ford F-150, hands you the keys and says, it's your car now. Um, there's a pretty good chance that you're going to talk about this person because they have done something remarkable for you. They have taken you out of a state that was like terrible, like broken down at the side of the road, um, and they've they've given you something that's an imaginable massive gift. Um, and like this is, we talk about this, and we would talk about that person because we want to honor them. Um, And then like another example of this, like imagine if somebody just came up and basically gave you all the money to go to college or forgave your student loans. Um, There's a good chance that you would talk about this person and talk about what this person had done to honor them. Um, This is natural for us to talk about things and honor people that do extraordinary things for us. And this this is no different between us and God. The reality is, is that we were dead in sin. Not just like a little dead, like five minutes, five minutes ago we died, but like we were dead, rotting, decomposing, moldy, and God did a remarkable work to save us in our lives. He brought us back. God, in the riches of his grace, saved us from the dead. God did a marvelous work. God did a great work. It's a work that only God could ever do. Through the workings of Jesus, God saved us, and we should honor him and what he has done by proclaiming his name and works through evangelism. When we think about this, this should change our whole perspective on evangelism, because if evangelism is about honoring God and proclaiming his name, it should take the pressure off us. We shouldn't have the need to have all the right answers, but rather to proclaim what God has done for us. Evangelism becomes a form of worship. When we realize our own past state and our own present state and what God has done for us. And we praise his name in getting us there. Evangelism isn't about getting conversions, nor will it ever be, because ultimately God is the only person that can change someone's heart. But rather, evangelism is about worship and proclaiming what God has done for us. Evangelism is ultimately about honoring God. There is also a second aspect of honoring God. While we most certainly need to proclaim what God has done for us, if we honor God, we need to be obedient to God. This brings me to my second point. How does the command to evangelize result in seeing more of the gospel and the delight of God? In Matthew 28, 19, Jesus commands his followers to go, therefore, make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always till the end of the age. Jesus is basically saying here, go evangelize, go tell people about what I have done so that they will come and follow me. On a side note, I'll be talking more about discipleship in two weeks, but that's beside the point. Um, And as we see, like Jesus commands evangelism. And when Jesus commands something, we should probably do it. Evangelism for the believer in Jesus isn't optional. All people, all Christians, if you believe and treasure Jesus, you need to evangelize. And sometimes I think that we forget that obedience is submission to God. And I, I, don't, I don't think we like the word submission very much. Like, it's most certainly um, a harder word. But when we think about it in the Christian life, if you believe and trust in Jesus, um, you submit your life to him. Um, Submit, um, in the dictionary says, to yield to a superior person or accept the authority or rule of another person. Within the Christian life, we submit to Jesus. We realize that Jesus is superior. He's God. He knows what's right. He knows what's wrong. And ultimately, we are inferior because of sin. Sin broke us. We realize that we must accept his rule because if not, our desires will consume us, ripping us away from God. Within the Christian life, we submit to King Jesus. When we submit to King Jesus, we accept who he is and what he has done. And we let him we let him change how we live. Submission in the Christian life is key. Yet, like When we don't submit to Jesus or what God has commanded us, we aren't truly honoring God for who he is or what he has done. We have misplaced priorities, and our our desires don't align with Jesus. If we don't submit to something that he says, doesn't it show that we have things in our life that we're treasuring more over what Jesus has done? Ultimately, when we treasure something over Jesus, it is sin. God is not the priority in our lives. God is not on top as he should be. When we don't obey the command to evangelize, it reveals that we are not honoring God. If we are to make much of him, we are not making much of him. This reveals that we don't have him in the right place within our own lives as king. This ultimately reveals sin, and in turn shows us the need for the gospel. There is this reality, though, that because of sin, in a sense, Submission is virtually impossible within our lives. On the earth, sin will always exist. We have not been sanctified or made like Jesus and sinless and perfect as Jesus is. We still live under the weight of the fall. We could never, ever, ever, ever perfectly live out the requirements of what God has called us and commanded us to do. When we try and live out the call in our Christian life to evangelize, or for that matter, any command, we see that our own failing, we see our own failings. We see that we could never ever ever do it right all the way. We could never be perfect in God's sight. We see that we need Jesus. We need Jesus because Jesus is the only one that could ever do it all right. Jesus is the only one that never got nervous on going out on the beach. Jesus is the only one who never got passive and walked by ah, somebody. Jesus did evangelism perfectly. When we evangelize, it helps us to see more of the gospel and more of what Jesus has done. There's also a second aspect of evangelism being a command. God delights in the imperfect fruit of his people. What I mean by this statement is that God delights that you, when out of the grace of Jesus, follow one of his commands. God gets excited. He delights in that. I want to be clear here. I'm not saying that you can earn anything with God because you can't. But, rather, God delights when you do what is asked of you through Jesus Christ. <clears throat> this can be seen biblically in Philippians 4.18, where the Apostle Paul comments that the Lord delights in the fruit of his people, and that the fruit of his people are a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. This can also be found in the Old Testament, in Samuel 15.22, where it says, The Lord has a great del- the Lord." is as a great delight in burnt offering and sacrifices, as in obeying the voice of the Lord. Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to listen than the fat of the rams. God delights when his people obey him with a true and honest heart. The way that I like to think about this is like a little child or baby. And personally, the baby in my life is Isla Martini, so I'm going to talk about her. Um, Lynn and Larry love Isla unconditionally. They love her when she does things right. They love her when she does things wrong. Yet, there's something special when Isla does what they ask her to do. So, for example, if I'm walking into project and they say, say hi to Mikey, and Isla waves and gets all smiley, Lynn and Larry get excited. They get excited because of what Isla has done. It's not like if Isla didn't do it, that they wouldn't love her. But rather, it gives them joy and delight to see Isla doing what they asked of her. This is the same way when we evangelize. Because evangelism is a command of God, when believers in God evangelize, we delight God. We delight God because we are honoring his name and what he has done. We delight God because we are putting him in the proper place. We are honoring his name. We don't earn anything because God has given us everything in Christ. We are with God because of what Jesus has done. Yet, when we evangelize, we delight God. As Christians, we should look to delight Daddy, and evangelism is one way that we can do that. We should also realize a third aspect of evangelism, that evangelism is part of God's all-time plan to glorify himself by redeeming a people. This brings me to my third point. How does evangelism fit into God's God's all-time plan for redemption? From the beginning of time, God knew Jesus was coming. Right after the fall in Genesis three fifteen, God predicts that Jesus will come in His curse towards the servant. Listen to this verse: I will put this is towards the servant too, or the servant, excuse me. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. Right here, right after man fell. God promises that he will redeem things and that he will make it right. Um, last fall at City's Church, we actually went through Genesis, um, and Jonathan Parnell and Joe Rigney pointed out um, that in Genesis 3.15, um, in t- terms of what the sa- is said to the serpent, um, the word that should be used um, for the serpent, instead of bruised, is really has a meaning closer to crushed. So... He will bruise your head, and you shall—or wait, excuse me, I'm going to keep going, sorry. Um, God is basically promising that an offspring of Eve will crush the serpent's head in a decisive knockout blow. Certainly, there will be a battle, as indicated by Genesis. But a blow to the head is life-ending. A blow to the foot is merely a flesh wound. God is saying that at some point, he will deliver a decisive blow to the serpent, or Satan. And the person who will do this will be Jesus. The promise of Jesus flows throughout all over the New Testament. The coming of the Messiah can be seen from Abraham to Moses, even to throughout the whole entire book. It is distinctively clear that Jesus is coming. God planned Jesus from the beginning of time. It's not like God, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit got together, and were like, hey, do you see the Israelites? Do you see my people group? They're rebelling. We can't control them. They're whining. They're not doing, listening to the commandments that we gave them. Jesus was planned from the beginning of time. This simply isn't true. God knew that Jesus was going to come, and it would come because it was God's all-time plan to glorify himself. To show this in the Bible, let's turn to John 17, 1 through 4. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son. That the Son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all flesh, to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And that is eternal life, that they know you, the true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. We see primarily within this text that Jesus is glorified by God by dying on the cross, This can be seen in verse 1 when Jesus says, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you. Jesus speaks this prayer within the Gospel of John, right before he is to be betrayed. This is making reference to the coming hour that Jesus will die on the cross. Jesus knows that his death is coming. He knows that he is at the pinnacle of God's redemptive purposes. God is sending his Son onto the cross so that he can glorify God as the text says in verse 2, to lead those who are given to him to eternal life. Perhaps the biggest and most focal point of Jesus' death is that God draws people to himself, to glorify himself. We can see this in this verse in John, but I think it's more explicitly clear within Ephesians. Consider the following in Ephesians 1, 5-6. He, God, predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, unto the praise of his glorious grace grace, which he has blessed us in the beloved. Or later in Ephesians 1.12, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be the praise of his glory. And finally in Ephesians 1.14, so that we so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be the praise of his glory. Do you see the theme here? Each one of these verses is basically saying that God saved you so that his glory might be known. God's aim in sending Jesus was to glorify himself. I think probably the most surprising part of all this is that God chose you, his body, those who believe and trust in Jesus, to build up his people group. We see this in Ephesians 4.11. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. God has specifically equipped you, the body of Christ, to build... Yeah, excuse me. God has specifically equipped you in the body of Christ to partake in building up of the church or the body of believers. God has given you each specific giftings to help equip you and to help play part in God's grand redemptive plan. God gave you giftings so that you could reach certain people groups could reach different groups of people that all need to hear about Jesus. And it's all part of God's plan. God planned you to share the gospel and make much of himself. And in this, we get to share in the glory of God, the glory that existed before the foundation of the world, the fountain of all joy. God planned you to share the gospel within his redemptive plan. And this should drive us to evangelize because it gives us an opportunity to share and glorify God. And really, when we think about this, this is really crazy because the Psalm 135 6 lays out whatever the Lord pleases. He does in the heavens and on earth, in the seas and all deeps. If God wanted to, he hypothetically could snap his fingers and everyone would believe. But instead, God designed you to glorify himself, to make his name known amongst the world. How remarkable is that? Like, that's, that's crazy. And in making his name known, we should know that we share in the greatest majesty, most majestic thing ever, the glory of God. We should rejoice in this, and it should cause us to do more evangelism, because it is ultimately what God has called us to do in his grand redemptive plan for mankind. When we start to think about why we evangelize, eternity is something that we need to consider. But there is ultimately the reality that we should evangelize because evangelism makes much of God. It delights God when we evangelize, and it brings glory to God because it is part of his redemptive plan for all of history. When we evangelize, these things make much of God. We need to evangelize because God is glorious, and God needs to be made much of. Let us pray. Father, um, I I just pray that we would understand that evangelism makes much of you. It makes much of you and what you've done. It makes much of you and how glorious you are. God, it delights you when we evangelize. And Father, I I just pray, um, God, I pray that we would be a people that would share your gospel from the beaches to the college campuses to the workplace. God, we know that you are the only person that can make this a reality. And so, God, I'll lift these things up to you in your name.